You're listening to The Living Word with Danny Hodges of Calvary Chapel Fellowship in St. Pete. As it is, you boast and brag. All such boasting is evil. And then he wraps, I think, all this up with this one statement. Anyone then who knows the good he ought to do and doesn't do it, sins. This third one, here's what I call it, independent planning. And when you think about this, we ought to think about what Scripture tells us. And the first is this. Every human being is accountable to God. Every one of us. Don't be fooled. Every single person on this earth is accountable to the Lord. As you listen to today's message from Pastor Danny, he shares with you the sobering truth that everyone will stand before God someday. So to think that you can get by by being considered as a caring or giving person isn't going to cut it. Pastor Danny encourages you that there's only one way to stand before God righteously, and that's through His Son, Jesus Christ. Choose today to receive salvation through the finished work of Jesus. Now here's Pastor Danny in the book of James chapter 4 with today's edition of The Living Word. came to church today. I mean, look at the opening line, chapter four, verse one. What causes fights and quarrels among you? You can stop right there for just a minute because the first thought would be him (laughs) or her or them. But here's what God says. Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You want something, but don't get it. You kill and covet but you cannot have what you want. You quarrel and fight. You don't have because you don't ask God. When you ask, you don't receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. Now, the next statement is extremely stinging. You adulterous people. Don't you know that friendship with the world is hatred toward God? Anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. Now, that's just straight-on playing language. Verse 5, or do you think Scripture says without reason that the spirit he caused to live in us envies intensely? Now, stop there for just a minute. That's a challenging verse, a lot of different ideas about what that verse means, and I'm going to give it in a few moments my best shot. But here's what we start out with, fighting and quarreling. (laughs) How practical is that? And here's the deal. External conflict is a result of internal conflict. The word in verse 1 for desires, don't they come from your desires that battle within you? It's this Greek word right here, hedone. And here's the English word we get from it, hedonist. That's a person whose life is devoted to the pursuit of pleasure and self-gratification. In short, you could say it's selfishness. Now listen, 
We're all born with that nature. It's a selfish nature. That's why kids so easily get in fights over who's going to play with the toy. Mine. (laughs) And that's what God says is at the root of the fighting and the quarreling. Here's what God said to the Corinthian church. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 3. You are still worldly. For since there is jealousy and quarreling among you, are you not worldly? Now, the amazing thing about that statement to the Corinthian church, if you read 1 Corinthians chapter 1, you learn that every spiritual manifestation gift of the Holy Spirit is existing in the church in Corinth. I mean, you want to go to a a church that's manifesting spiritual gifts, you can't get one more than the Corinthian church. And despite all those manifestation gifts, they were worldly. They were worldly versus being spiritual despite all those manifestation gifts. Now, verse 5, let me give it my best shot. Do you think Scripture says without reason that the Spirit he caused to live in us envies intensely. Uh, Some suggest he's talking about the Holy Spirit's envy and desire uh, for us not to be spiritual adulterers, as verse 4 says. But I don't think that's what it's talking about. The other opinion is the one I take, and that is that what God is saying here is that the Scripture, generally speaking, because there's not one particular Scripture that says what's being suggested here, But the general gist of Scripture reveals for us and tells us about our base, hedonistic nature. Envy intently and the selfishness naturally within us, and that's what motivates and causes all the conflict. Because the conflict starts in here before it ever happens out here. Now, I think... That's the interpretation correctly because if you fit Scripture with Scripture, including what we're looking at, it just makes sense. For example, the Old Testament, time and time again, the relationship with God and his people is reflected so many times as a, get this, a marriage. Let me read you, for example, from Isaiah 54. Here's what God says in Isaiah 54. Your maker, God speaking, is your husband. Let me read you. Jeremiah chapter 3, verse 20, listen to it. Like a woman unfaithful to her husband, so you have been unfaithful to me, O house of Israel. When you get to the New Testament, Ephesians chapter 5, Paul, the apostle, talks about the relationship between a husband and a wife. And then he concludes by saying this, but I'm talking to you about Christ and the church. The literal For verse 4, when it says, you adulterous people, the Greek, I've read from scholars who know, is feminine. And more literally, it's adulteresses. You put all that together, and then you understand, and the picture becomes clear. You adulteresses, don't you know that friendship with the world is hatred toward God? I thought this through. This is my own statement after really thinking this through. And I want you to read it with me. And I want you to think about what we're reading. Are you ready? Here we go. Fighting and quarreling is external conflict as a result of an internal conflict, the root of which is selfish, evil. 
and reveals that my relationship with God is not what it should be. That's the bottom line. That's what he's telling us. I can quarrel and fight with my kids, and I can blame them for my attitude. But the truth is there's something wrong with me if I'm fighting and quarreling with my kids. I can fight and quarrel with my wife, and most of the time it's her fault. It's the woman you gave me. I don't like the way some of the ladies are looking at me. (laughs) Including my wife who's sitting over here. (laughs) Oh, God help me. Let me read it to you. Think about it one more time. Fighting and quarreling is external conflict as a result of an internal conflict, the root of which is selfish, and God calls selfishness evil, and reveals that my relationship with God is not what it, ought, what it should be. So, hey, look, if I'm fighting and quarreling with my wife, with my kids, with my neighbors, with my work associates, whoever it is, there's an issue with me and the Lord that needs to be dealt with. That's what God's telling us. And I'm really committing spiritual adultery until I get it right. Now, let's leave that one on the shelf just for a minute. Some of you will be happy to move on from that. But let's go to the second issue. Jump down to verse 11. Brothers, do not slander one another. Anyone who speaks against his brother or judges him speaks against the law and judges it. When you judge the law, you're not keeping it, but sitting in judgment on it. There's only one lawgiver and judge, the one who is able to save and destroy. But you, who are you to judge your neighbor? Now, before we look specifically at what he's talking about, you need to understand understand what he's not talking about. Let me just take you for just a moment to Matthew chapter 7, a scripture that is unfortunately misinterpreted sometimes and mistaught and misunderstood. And here's what it says, Matthew 7 verse 1, do not judge or you too will be judged. And some people will use that when you point out some discrepancy or something wrong in their life, and you may do it out of love, but they will say, don't judge lest you be judged. And they're misunderstanding the scripture. That's not what it's talking about. Do not judge or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it'll be measured to you. Now note the context of the statement by Jesus. Look at verse three. He's talking to the Pharisees. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? It's a self-righteous judgment. The word is crino translated judge. It means to condemn. And only God has the ultimate authority to condemn because God knows the ultimate truth about every one of us. There is a godly judgment that you and I are called to, and me as a pastor is called to, 1 Corinthians chapter 5. Man in the Corinthian church had a sexual relationship with his father's wife, obviously not his mother, The church or the church leadership wasn't doing anything about it. Paul wrote 1 Corinthians 5 and said you should have put this person out of the fellowship. And then he says, after they do put him out of the fellowship, or they're going to anyway, verse 12, what business is it of mine to judge those outside the church? Are you not to judge those inside? God will judge those outside. Expel the wicked man from among you. And the kind of judgment here is not the kind of judgment Jesus is talking about in Matthew 7. This is a godly judgment. And it's for the sake of the protection and the purity, not only of the church, 
but of the one who has sinned. Because if there's no discipline, then you're not going to help the church and you're not going to help the person. Because the whole purpose of this fellowshipping is to put them on a path of discipline that they might repent and be restored back into fellowship with the Lord and the church. So what is he talking about in James? More along the lines of Matthew 7. Don't slander one another. Anyone who speaks against his brother or judges him speaks against the law and judges it. Here's what the law said, Leviticus chapter 19 and verse 16. Do not go about spreading slander among your people. What is slander? Here's a pretty good definition. It's a false tale or report maliciously uttered and tending to injure the reputation of another. But I will also suggest that it can be something that you indeed believe about a person, but it's not the truth. You believe this about them, and so you begin to mouth off what you believe, but you don't really know the truth. Jesus was, of course, slandered. King David was slandered. I, as a pastor, have been slandered on more than one occasion. Maybe you've been slandered. It's one thing to be slandered. It's another thing to slander. You know what the original slander recorded in the Bible was? The original slander. Let me give you the verse. Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, the forbidden fruit, and the serpent, the devil, comes to Eve. And here's what he says. God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. What's the devil doing? He's slandering God Almighty. He's questioning the integrity of God himself. What did James say? When you judge the law, you're not keeping it in connection with slander, but sitting in judgment on it. There's only one lawgiver and judge. What did Satan want? He wanted to be God. Scripture tells us that. He says, I'll ascend to the throne. I'll be God. And he's acting like God in what he says to Eve. He's slandering. Let me rephrase that. He's acting like God by making this kind of statement. Here's the deal. When someone slanders, they put themselves in the place of God. You judge and you automatically condemn based on what you believe about the person and what you're saying about the person. Here's what Romans 14, 4 says. Who are you to judge someone else's servant? To his own master, he stands or falls. Slander. So we've got fighting and quarreling, and we've got slander. But there's one more issue to deal with before we wrap it up today. Chapter 4 of James, verse 13. Now listen, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go to this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business, and make money. Why, you don't even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You're a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast and brag. All such boasting is evil. 
And then he wraps, I think, all this up with this one statement. Anyone then who knows the good he ought to do and doesn't do it, sins. This third one, here's what I call it, independent planning. And when you think about this, we ought to think about what Scripture tells us. And the first is this. Every human being is accountable to God. Every one of us. Romans 14, written primarily to believers, but the principle is backed up in other scriptures. Romans chapter 14, verse 7. For none of us lives to himself and none of us dies to himself. If we live, we live to the Lord. And if we die, we die to the Lord. So whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. Written primarily to Christians. But now let me read Hebrews chapter 4, verse 13. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give account. Every single human being will stand before God one day and give an account. Believers at what's called the judgment seat of Christ and unbelievers at the great white throne judgment. Talked about in the book of Revelation at the end. Hebrews 9.27 simply says it's appointed unto man once to die and then the judgment. And it's going to be here in a flash. Because life is brief. The psalmist, Psalm 39, here's what he writes. Verse 4, show me, O Lord, my life's end and the number of my days. Let me know how fleeting is my life. You've made my days a mere handbreadth. The span of my years is as nothing before you. Each man's life is but a breath. Man is a mere phantom as he goes to and fro. He bustles about, but only in vain. He heaps up wealth, not knowing who will get it. Jesus told a parable in Luke 12 about a guy who hit it big. And when he hit it big, here's what he said. I'm going to build bigger barns and store my loot in these barns, and I'm going to retire early. That's the loose paraphrase, but that's basically what he's saying. And I'm going to live it up. And God says to him, you fool, this very night, your life will be required of you. He had no idea that when he's saying this, this is his last day alive on planet Earth. Life is brief. Did you know that God wants to guide each one of us personally in life? He does. Let me tell you a couple of quick stories. 2 Samuel chapter 6 tells the story of King David, and it's, from what I understand, uh, one of the first things he did after he became king. And that is go and capture the Ark of the Covenant, which has been in enemy hands for years, and bring it to its rightful place back into Jerusalem. He goes and captures the Ark, and on the way into Jerusalem, uh, the band is playing, everybody's excited. The Ark is on a cart being pulled by oxen. Uh, one of the guys walking beside the Ark is named Uzzah, and as he's walking beside the Ark, and everybody's excited, but the oxen stumble. And when the oxen stumble, Uzzah, motivated uh, out of good motive, uh, he reaches out to steady the ark when the oxen stumble and God takes his life. You better know the band stopped. David's mouth is hanging wide open and the Bible says David was angry with the Lord. 
for taking Uzzah's life. But we know David went away and he thought about it and he meditated on what in the world could have gone so wrong. And he came to realize it was his mistake and their mistake, but he's the king. He's the main leader. Let me read you from 1 Chronicles chapter 15, verse 13, David's discovery of why Uzzah lost his life. 1 Chronicles 15, verse 13, David is speaking to the Levites, and he says, it was because you, the Levites, did not bring it up the first time that the Lord our God broke out in anger against us. We did not inquire of him about how to do it in the prescribed way. Only the Levites were to have responsibility for the ark, and it was never to be on a cart and never pulled by oxen. There were poles specifically designed and ringlets on each side of the ark that the poles were put through and the Levites were to carry this most holy piece of furniture. And it's because their steps were not ordered by the Lord that Uzzah lost his life. But when you look at the overall pattern of David's life, I can tell you this from Scripture. He learned his lesson. He learned his lesson. If you'd like to follow with me, 1 Samuel chapter 23. 1 Samuel 23 and verse 1, when David was told, look, the Philistines are fighting against Keilah and are looting the threshing floors, he inquired of the Lord saying, shall I go and attack these Philistines? And the Lord answered him, go attack the Philistines and save Keilah. But his men aren't so confident. Look at verse three. But David's men said to him here in Judah, we're afraid. How much more then if we go to Keilah against the Philistine forces? So David once again inquired of the Lord and the Lord answered him, go down to Keilah for I'm giving the Philistines into your hand. And the men were reassured and David and his men go and they indeed win a great victory against the Philistines. 1 Samuel chapter 30. David and his men have gone off, and then they come back from their trip, and when they get back to where they're camping and where they've settled for this period of time called Ziklag, it was a tragic discovery. The Amalekites had come and raided Ziklag, captured, kidnapped, all of the wives and children, and burn Ziklag. You're David or any of his men, what's your first natural impulse? Get on your donkey, let's go get those guys and rescue our family. And even though that's a natural impulse, that's not what David immediately does. Verse 7, 1 Samuel 30. Then David said to Abiathar the priest, the son of Ahimelech, bring the ephod. That was one of the instruments that they used to discern the will of God. Abiathar brought it to him, and David inquired of the Lord, shall I pursue this raiding party? Will I overtake them? Pursue them, he answered. You will certainly overtake them and succeed in the rescue. Second Samuel chapter 2. Boy, does this get practical. Chapter 2, in the course of time, verse 1, David inquired of the Lord, shall I go up to one of the towns of Judah? Now he's asking about travel plans. And the Lord said, go up. And David said, where shall I go? 
And the Lord said to Hebron, You've been listening to another edition of The Living Word with Pastor Danny Hodges. The Living Word is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel Fellowship in St. Petersburg, Florida. We're so glad that you took the time to learn more from the book of James today. If you're looking for a New Testament book that's a lot like Proverbs, then James is your book. There's so many practical applications to take away from what's written. So what are some of the things that struck a chord with you today? And how do you intend to apply those to your daily life? If you enjoyed hearing from Pastor Danny today and would like to listen to other teachings from this series in James, then feel free to visit our sermon archive at ccfstpete.church. Just look under the Resources tab. That website, once again, is ccfstpete.church. If you don't have a church to call home yet, we would love to have you come join us at Calvary Chapel Fellowship. We meet on Saturday nights at 6 p.m. and Sunday mornings at 9 and 11 a.m. Feel free to come just as you are. Our mission as a church is teaching the Word, reaching the world. We trust that this radio program is an integral part of that mission, as listeners are hearing these messages both near and far. Our time for today is up, but we can't wait for you to join us again for our next edition. Pastor Danny will continue teaching through the New Testament book of James, next time here on The Living Word.